and I, not talking to you personally, but you as what it represents, the sense of being a long-lasting, independent, separate entity, <coughs> that you has always been looking for something. Began with looking for your mother's tip, and then it just goes on and on and on and on and on and on like that. Constantly seeking, seeking, seeking. And now it gets to a point where maybe you were seeking, and then let's say you were a baby and you found your mother's tit, that would be some peace. But now there's not even peace when you find what you're looking for. Because it just gets overridden by the seeking. It's such a habit now. Even if you were seeking for like a drink of water, as soon as you'd have that drink of water, you'd be on your way again, looking for a better water, or aqua ananda water, or something, some other water. Yeah? There's always got to be something different. There's got to be a better water here. Yeah. I know this is quenching my thirst, but that's not enough. I want it to be a really cool-looking water that quenches my thirst. <laughs> so, and this, the dilemma here, in my view, and this is my humble opinion about the recovery program, there's a fundamental flaw in it, because... The disease isn't seen as an, uh, like a foreign installment. It, doesn't, it isn't seen as if it's a past parasite that's taken over the host. We're in the midst of constantly narrating our day, the head, as if the expressions of alcoholism were our expressions. That, to me, is identification as self. Self being the representation of alcoholism. Because alcoholism is in the mental process. It's a disease. It's not in the cells. It's not in the bone marrow. It's not in the lymph system, but it's in the mental process. It's how we think and how we look at life. It is rooted in a way of looking called alcoholism. And there's been enough people that have suffered from it that because of recovery programs have come together and shared their feelings and their thoughts and their reactions to life, and by listening to other people who suffer from alcoholism share their feelings, their thoughts, and their reactions to life, some of us have come to the conclusion, how could they be my thoughts and my feelings and my reactions if you have them? And you have them, and the guy in Bombay, India has them, and this person in Paris has them, and this person in Guatemala has them. How is it that they could be mine? And I see that they're not mine, they're ours, and they're not even ours. Because after a short period of time, I am not identified with who you are. I'm identified with what's taking you over. That's all I'm identified with, you. I don't know who the hell you are or where you came from. We're probably from totally two different neighborhoods. But when you share what it's like to be taken over by alcoholism, I identify because I have been taken over by alcoholism. And that's that. And to me, that's the revelation that allows us to start truly entertaining freedom from self, not freedom as a self. Freedom as a self will always be conditional. It will be circumstantial, and for, in some way or another, it will always be about you. Yeah? The you that you're not. It's constantly claiming relevance here, even with the topic or the subject of God or Buddha nature. It's always based on what you or don't do with your experience of Buddha nature. You don't see that you are an effect of Buddha nature. You think you're going to be the one who experiences it. I'm going to experience God. If that's your take, I would say that's playing God more than God. 
If my experience of God is determined on what I believe I did or didn't do, then I would say that's playing God. So, uh, you know, another point in recovery, it says, you know, a God of our own understanding. I want a God of, of its own understanding. I don't want a God of my own understanding because that God is going to be very limited based on my understanding. Maybe you'll be able to get me parking spaces and maybe a job and maybe a girlfriend every once in a while. But really, it's never going to be the activity of being free from self. It won't. Because it will have to be a lesser God than the God that named it. So I would love to know the God of its own understanding. Because that understanding is incredibly profoundly larger than self-centeredness can entertain. It actually... Like in self-centeredness, the best you can come up with is, I will be okay. It's always based on time, and it's never now. It's always based on, I will be okay, and it's, us it's usually determined on what you do or don't do. Again, playing God to the, on, on the journey to okayness. You state the fact you're not okay, and then it's going to be you that's going to tell you how you're doing. But that you is the reason why you sense you're not okay. How could the problem ever lead you to the solution unless you see the problem is not you? That is the solution. But the problem will never lead you to the solution. It will lead you to a solution, which is going to be a problem when you start entertaining it. Because you're the problem. It's not like you're a problem and you were tattooed with it once before. It's a living problem. You're assuming, you're looking at life from an assumption that you are the seer, and the hearer, and the feeler, and the taster, and the toucher, and the thinker. And that's not true. There's seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, and recognizing thought, but the you that you believe is doing it, ain't doing it. Because you're, you're assigning that job, <laughs> that job to this. And you go, I am conscious. So when seeing happens, tell me if this isn't the feeling. It's a vague feeling underneath all the seeing. I'm seeing. I'm seeing that chair. So seeing isn't even sensed anymore. The whole story is about I am seeing that. And maybe I don't want to see that. So now opinions ensue. As if something could be different about this room. In other words, I can look at somebody in this room and say, I don't want them to be here, but they're here. So I'm in this level of non-acceptance because I believe I have an option. I really entertain that you don't have to be here, but you're here. Just like I can entertain, I didn't have to get hit by a car, but I did. <laughs> you know? I mean, who's going to win the argument there? I, could, I can entertain, I could have two kids if I was a woman, but I'm not. <laughs> it's, this, it's this insane assumption that we believe things could be different. And just that belief creates huge, huge fields of mental foraging. Your mind just forages, you know, going through the ashes of the past, trying to kick a new, you know, ember up. It could have been different. If only. If you ever go, if the, if the mind entertains if only, you're going into a hallway in hell. Just stop and turn around. If your mind goes, if only... If only I wouldn't have done that. But you did. <laughs> if only that wouldn't have happened. But it did. Or I should have. That's another beautiful one. That's a long hallway. 
I should have. (laughs) There's a lot of religious icons looking at you with sternness. I should have not done that, but you did. Actually, you didn't. That's the solution. But you believe you did. Everything here that comes to pass through you, you believe you were the doer of it. That's where all guilt and shame rests, is a personal sense of doership. You cannot get over guilt and shame by therapizing it, by talking it out, by saying 8,000 Hail Marys. You will still believe you did it. Because you'll believe you're the doer of your actions. And yet you can't even pump your own blood. You can't even shit when you want to. You can't. You can't even breathe. If it was up to you, you would have passed away a long time ago. You would have forgot to breathe. Oh, Jesus, because you'd be upset, obsessing with what wasn't happening, and then you wouldn't be happening. You would have everything you dreamt of. What's not happening, you wouldn't have been happy. It would have been all over. So basically, whatever, if you, call, if you believe there's a power, it knew better to give you any real power in the head, because everything's involuntary. The whole thing runs without any kind of control by you because it knew better. And yet this little thing up here got a megaphone and just keeps claiming everything. I'm the thinker. I'm the doer. I'm the haver. These are my problems. This is my life. This is my time. These are my thoughts. These are my feelings. It's so amazing. There's conscious contact and something's felt. And then the mind rises and says, oh, I don't want to feel that. But you already felt it. And it doesn't even really get what you felt, which is just a stimulation. It had an idea. It gave it a name. This is bad, what I felt. And I don't want to feel that. Doesn't it show you how powerless you are? That constantly things are happening that you don't want to happen, even in your own apparatus. I mean, you you want to run the rule the world, you can't even rule this. This little kingdom. Yeah. If they're your thoughts, stop thinking. If you're the thinker of them, stop. If you were running, and then someone says stop, you would probably be able to stop, because it seems at least you could have a little say in the matter. But when it comes to thinking, can you stop thinking? not attempting that at all. I think that's insane. What you see is you're not the thinker of them. Then you have freedom from them. The, the bondage isn't the thought. Thought is a thought. The bondage comes from the mind. And the mind comes from you believing you're the thinker of them, or they're about you. See, you believe the binding agent's coming from outside. These thoughts are driving me crazy. But it's actually... You handing over to the handcuffs to the thoughts, and then they bind you. Because the my is really, see, the my represents you. Yeah? When you go my thought, it means you. And that you that your mind has an opinion of is a huge amount of files. It has a lot of files that represent you. Not just a little holographic picture of a body. But a lot of files, like you're inherently a loser, or you'll never be loved, or you're actually bad. That's a good one. You're bad. You're guilty. You have been tried and convicted, and there is no escape from the verdict. You're guilty. You are bad. Yes? That thing. So here's a thought. Let's say the thought's about a day. You 
how the day is going to go. It's probably neutral in a sense. It's just a thought, hey, how, it's like an inquisitive little line of thinking. How's the day going to go? But then when I see them as my thoughts, that Paul represents a lot of files, and those files download into the thought. So if you have a sense that things don't go well for you, that little line of thinking is going to scare the bejesus out of your system. I wonder what will happen today, because it will start wondering. <laughs> and it's going to wonder on the negative side. And all that negativity is going to get injected into those thoughts. You won't even see it, and you'll think it's coming at this, at you. Yeah? So you're going to be like the victim, but you're the perpetrator. You, not the, the mental process. Yeah. So we're saying, okay, if you and I give everything all the meaning it has, you can believe it or not, I do. I believe that's a, a perceptual truth here. You and I give everything the meaning it has. This is called a subjective experience here, yes? So you and I could have a, the same event happen, and we'd be both in that event, but we'd have a different take on it. You would see it from that point of view, I'd see it from this point of view. It's a subjective experience here. So you and I are giving the meaning to things that happen. And actually the meaning that we give things overrides the effect of the things. The things don't have as much effect. It's what they deliver to us, which is the meaning we gave it. Yeah? So the thing is like a vehicle. It has a certain meaning, but we inject a lot more meaning, and then that vehicle, we open it up by think, seemingly thinking it, and then it pops out, and it seems to affect us. Yeah, but it goes like this, into the thought, we forget that, and now the thought brings it to us seemingly. Of course, from this point of view, it looks like you're a victim, obviously. Yeah? And that, Jesus, I've got to pray to something greater than me to stop this because I'm getting attacked, I'm getting assaulted all the time. But if you realize they're coming from here, and the reason why they're coming the way they're coming, and they have the content of what they have, is the what's giving it the meaning, which is self-centeredness because you identify as a self. So you are a product of a system of thought yeah, called self-centeredness. And you and I have been getting the basic bottom line, product line of that system for a long time. And we've got the extreme turbocharged system called alcoholism, which is extremely concerned with self. <laughs> and we have all been suffering from that meaning being injected into life and into thoughts about life from the disease of alcoholism. Yeah? What would happen if you looked at what's giving it the meaning? My whole life has been painted by an alcoholic view because my mental process, which makes up the idea of being a self, has been infected with alcoholism. It's as if whatever colors are happening, I have a yellow tint that I splash over everything. And that yellow tint is the basic beliefs and the old ideas that this is made of. Like, I'm a loser, or I'm actually very bad deep down. I'm a guilty, bad person. <laughs> or I never can be loved, or I'm a fraud, or how many typical ones you're entertaining. That's getting injected into these thoughts, and they're whacking you big time, and you have no immunity to them, do you? Your body shows the reaction. If you watch people, you can see the puppet master sometimes. They're sitting there, and their whole body is reacting to the puppet strings up here. You can check it out. 
they're flipping out, and there's nothing to flip out over right now. It's actually pretty cool. We've got organ music. It's really nice. But they're flipping out because they're not reacting to here. They're reacting to what's not happening. So the only thing you can do, which I love to do, is describe what we're not. Because if you see what you're not, there is a sense that's available of the feeling of not being that. Because you're seeing it instead of seeing from it. Yeah? That's the beauty of it to me. You'll sense a presence of your real nature by telling the truth about your false nature. Yeah? It's difficult to entertain the truth about the false nature as the false nature. So we're attempting to describe the false nature so you can get a hit, like a free sample of what it feels like to be present without the, that false nature adorning you. And all it takes is one, but maybe it will take many in this place of time. But really, just like you came here because something resonated with you, that's it. That's exactly it. Something in you knows. Yeah? You may be grappling with it. You may be trying to figure it out because you're using the self-centered system. But something knows something's going on. That's where to put the faith in. Yeah? That. Because that's going to see you through. Because it isn't about an understanding. It's really about the sensing of a presence. And that presence is your absence, really, as a Paul. When I'm not identified as Paul as this, I sense the presence of what I am. Because the presence of what I am is the absence of this. When your whole head is totally preoccupied with this, then the presence seems absent to you. That's why you're seeking constantly. St. Francis says, you're looking for what's looking. You're busily running around, or now you're running the other way. You just said, I'm never going to run anymore, but that's another form of running. And you're running around seeking what's actually looking. But you can't entertain it as that, because you think you're looking. <laughs> you know, to me it's seeing, and something has been hijacked by this, this something hijacked the seeing and claimed it to be me seeing. So the solution is actually being used by the problem to reinforce the problem. Every moment seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, and touching is going on, my head believes I'm seeing, I'm hearing, I'm feeling, I'm tasting, I'm touching. It claims the conscious contact. But noticing that there's your solution. The conscious contact in itself is the never-ending invitation to the solution. You're conscious. If you're conscious as this, you'll be pretty much unconscious to your real nature. See? There's consciousness. This claims it, so now this becomes, the consciousness becomes conscious as this. That causes you to be unconscious to your nature. That's it. So we're just attempting to bring it back to square one. If you're conscious as this, you're unconscious to that. There's no that. But to what you are, because you're identified as what you're not. <laughs> that freaking simple. Yeah. So this constantly entertaining this to be you causes what you are to seem to be absent in your life. There's a sense of that, so you're seeking but we seek ignorantly, we look for that out here. You, people, money, this and that. There's nothing wrong with money and everything else like that. But there is something wrong with using them as a substitute for your own nature because they'll never fulfill that substitution. Yeah. 
It's sort of like putting a, a ton of product in a half-ton pickup. It's not going to work. It can't deliver this. You cannot save me. I do not need a savior here. It's a recognition of what you are. And you can't see it as if you drive to the mission and it's on 35th and, you know, Arizona or whatever out there. You get it by its intimation as it's going on. Consciousness, just like a runner runs, consciousness is conscious. That's what it does. That's the verb of it. The verb of consciousness is conscious. It's conscious of here. It's demonstrating through this a verb of what it is, which is, hey, I'm conscious of. I'm conscious of this room. I'm conscious of the light. I'm conscious of the feeling. I'm conscious of this thing. I'm conscious of your presence. I'm conscious da 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 Consciousness is constantly revealing itself, but the head, the conditioned head, just keeps living under the thing unconscious, which causes you to be unconscious. Yeah? It's like how many people literally were at a cafe today and did you hear someone complaining about the effects of gravity? <laughs> did you? Did you really? I heard, yes, that it's very heavy on my right shoulder today. How about you? Yeah, it's been really a bad weekend. The gravitational, oh, very strong. Now, as a body, we've always been under its influence so we don't know. That's exactly what this is like. All there is is consciousness. It's never had a beginning nor an end. It's never been... Uh, absent, so therefore we can't sense its presence. It's like a fish in the water. The fish doesn't know it's even wet, probably, but it knows it when it's flapping on the deck of a boat. Once it's removed out of its medium, it flips out from that removal. While it's in there, it probably has no idea about the ocean or wetness, but suddenly something jerks it out of that, and it's on the thing. We're basically doing that. We call it a dance. <laughs> but we're just flat flapping on the deck of this fake reality. <laughs> and we're so cultured, we think like it's like a, a boat full of people with shit in their pants. No one wants to say, hey, this stinks around here. <laughs> we're walking around as if, oh, yeah. This is a very nice flavor today. No, it fucking stinks. you got a big load of shit in your pants. But no, everyone's just acting like we're really cool. And probably writing great novels about the suffering of life. So, it's like all flapping to me. Yeah. But that's exactly what happens. When you drop back into the water, now you know it by its absence. Just like you know when we talk in AA, they say, fear was a corroding thread that runs through the fabric of your existence. Yeah. So it's like this black sweatshirt. If I had a thread of fear in here, it would be black. I wouldn't notice it. Yeah, I couldn't be able to say, all right, this is the thread of, because it's, it would blend in. So like, let's say if I, when I was born, someone put a hand on my shoulder, and it has always been there, would I know it was actually there? No. I would not know it was there, because it's always been there. I only know it was there by its absence. When, some, when it finally lifted, I realized, Jesus, that was a heavy freaking thing on my shoulder. But until it lifts, I have no freaking idea. I'm living as if this is the way it is. That's sort of like this is. It's always so, so your head can't recognize it. Yeah? So you have to, you can't go and say, talk about how lovely the water is. You've got to talk about what's not so. So that your head maybe gets it. And in that getting it, it's not so, that will be a conscious moment, and maybe you'll sense the consciousness of that moment. 
Not as you, but as consciousness. Yeah. And hopefully, just hopefully, the identification will weaken and you will realize I may be that instead of what I'm conscious of, which is the body and everything like that. I may be that. I may be the consciousness. Because every experience of seeing, there's been seeing in it. I don't mean seeing just through the eyes. But every moment of your life is illuminated by the consciousness of that's prior to it. Yeah? Prior to Josh running, there was a there's a seeing of running. There's seeing of the body running. Yeah? When you think you've had a bad day, there's seeing of those thoughts. When you think you had a good day, there's seeing of those thoughts. The good and bad don't change the seeing. The seeing is the great equalizer. In all of your degrees of how great I'm doing and terrible, how close and how far, there's always been the consciousness of it. To even entertain this distance, there has to be consciousness. So the common denominator here is that consciousness. What we did is we replaced that, our head has, with an idea that I'm conscious. Which now, it's a great strategy because you'll never look exactly where the solution is because it's activated every moment you're alive and in the living of it is its demonstration and you won't see it because that demonstration has been interpreted as me being conscious. I am seeing, I am feeling, I'm hearing, I'm tasting, I'm touching. And it never goes back, it goes forward and writes a story more and more. And the narration... That narration is the, the reinforcement of the bondage to self. It's the glue that keeps the self, the consciousness, bonded to the idea of being a body. Yeah? But the, the idea of this is identification. The reinforcement is the thoughts, the daily narrative. We're trying to wrestle with the daily narrative, but we don't see that it's totally there to support the identification. If you... If you can see that the identification is not being so, the daily narrative will just swing out of, out of gravity. I mean, out of the orbit. It will just... You'll lose interest in holding that solar system together. Literally. And then you'll be in the same circumstances and maybe the same situations, but you'll travel a whole lot lighter through them. You walk in a room, and that will be what happened. You just walked in a room. The thinking about walking in a room will not replace the event of walking in the room, and it won't even be a big player in the event of walking in a room. It will be like hearing a radio in another room. Yeah? And after a while, it just shuts off. You just walk in a room. You just wake up. You just do this. You just do that. It's super clean. It becomes very economical. You start traveling very, very light. And there's a presence in it. You intimate that force that you haven't been noticing. Yeah? Why can you intimate it? You're conscious. Yeah? You're conscious. You have the ability to know yeah, something. And you have the ability to intimate nothing which is that space, that consciousness, that no-thingness. You have it. Not you, but you are that. You are consciousness. The consciousness that we are is just looking through this like it looks through a telescope. It's not the telescope. The consciousness is pure consciousness. 
It's not tainted with thingness. Right now, it's become identified with the thing, but it doesn't lose any sense of its clarity by that identification. At any moment, it's entertained not to be that. It's as clear as it's always been. It's like Jesus supposedly said, you're in this world of time and space and things and duality. Things are rising to depart. Things come to go. You get close and far away. Love and hate. High and low. Left, right. Yes, inhale, exhale. All of those are dualistic movements. This whole place of appearance is based on all it is, totally, mentally, physically, everything. It may seem like your life isn't dualistic, but look at it. Addiction, recovery. Swung one way, now it's swinging the other way. Youth and old age, sitting one way, the other way. There's no escape of it in the appearances. You believe in inclusive or exclusive. Self-centeredness is totally exclusive. Exclusive. Totally exclusive. It's either or up there. Either I'm having a good time or I'm working. <laughs> I can't do both. I'll have the good times on my days off and I'll be working on my days on. Never the twain shall meet. No, no. Life is totally inclusive. Yeah? Because in this movement, there's a context of it. Just like the water. Yeah? Just like the ocean. There is a context which allows, just like the ocean, there's low tide and high tide. The low tide, it looks like to me that there's less water. High tide, it looks like to me there's more water. It's all perceptual. There's no more water no, or less water called the ocean. It's just the ocean. But to me, it can appear to be less and more. This is called duality. And the self-centeredness, that, that helmet of self-centeredness that we seem to have on, is defined by that. It can't think outside of that. It cannot perceive outside of those rules. Self cannot get out of self. Self is a product of a mental process. Your mental process is made up of feeling, not just a thought, but a feeling, because it knows a sense is stronger than a thought. It's more convincing. So it... It, it creates up, uh, creates, makes a feeling of being somebody. Yeah. You have this feeling, I am Josh, I am Paul, and you think that it came through years and years of experience. It's made up. The mind's making it up. And when you think about yourself and you feel like you're a historical figure and you have this whole chronological real history, it's all made up in the head. It's all made up. Everything that you're taking to, to prove your authenticity is from a mental process. <laughs> Everything that we go to, our final authority, this makes me so, ain't so. <laughs> What's one to do? Self can't get out of self. How could it, really? Look at it. If it's a product of a mental process, 
Because you weren't, you didn't have a sense of self when you were born. Even they've proven that in science. They say it takes maybe past a year and a half or so the baby finally sees its mother as another. Before that, it's, it has no sense of separation. It's just, it's just consciousness trying to get used to this place. Obviously, coming through the telescope. You ever see the kids? They're all trying to figure. The body's trying to take handle itself. It's flipping out. But then we grow into this way of looking. And in that way of looking, we forget the natural scene. And we sorely miss it. Yeah? No matter how much we feel like we've grown into adults, we miss that wonder and awe and the immediacy and the spontaneity when we were kids. I don't know, maybe you were in an abusive situation, so you were in a lot of fear, but I wasn't. My family was a typical middle-class family in Massapequa Park, Long Island. You know? When I was playing, that's all that was happening. I had no idea about time and when I wasn't going to be playing. <laughs> I didn't care if my mother was super ugly or not, because I had no idea of ugly and beauty. I just loved it. Simple as that. Very direct, clear thing. And it was like, should I love my mother? What has she done for me lately? I don't like what she did to me last week. At that time, I had no idea last week, so I just loved her. Yeah? Just like that. There was no option in a way. It was like a nice optionless state. Well, that's what I believe is the fact. The optionless part of this place is that there is only consciousness, basically, as the denominator. Yeah? There is only what knows of seeing. That's so. What grew from there was a mental reaction to that and how it covered that up as being what we are and what this is about is it claimed it and it became the doer of this natural state of seeing. It now believes it can do itself into consciousness. Or conversely, do itself out of consciousness. So instead of entertaining the optionless state of just being conscious, no ifs, ands, or buts about it, our head entertains that it can be conscious or unconscious based on what it believes was good or bad. Yeah? So it plays God, literally. And I was just reading when I was in Chicago, I said this the other meeting. This one of the people that came there was talking about a psychiatrist who did his master's, his thesis on Alcoholics Anonymous. He wasn't an alcoholic, but he studied it for his thing. And he, he said that the whole point of AA could be diluted into one statement, or distilled into one statement, which is people just learn how to stop playing God. They stop, and what playing God is could be defined as relying on self. And in our recovery program, it says, why do you have so much fear? Thank God it doesn't let us answer. Because <laughs> the book would have been 900,000 pages. It goes directly to the dilemma. Isn't it because self-reliance has failed us? So just like we're doing here, Bill W. wanted to stop your mental rationalizations and try to put in maybe a possible solution to entertain. So he brought you to the point of, oh yeah, I have fear. I have a lot of fear. Okay, this is why. Not them, not this, not that, but there's been a reliance on something that's unreliable. If you rely on something that's unreliable, know what a life's going to look like? Like yours and mine. It's going to look exactly like that, especially if the unreliability is based on alcoholism. It's going to look quite like our life looked. And so, was our inherent value just of an addict? Then how could we have recovered? We're neutral in a sense. 
whatever is entertained here will express itself as this, through this. So, I was a perfect addict and now I'm recovered from that. So, I really am. It's just an expression of the principles my life is resting on. Now, my life is resting on sound principles, so I have peace and ease and comfort and traveling light and sense of presence in my life. Where before, when I was relying on unreliability, I had anxiety, tons of resentment, because I had a blame for my, my condition. I couldn't take responsibility for where I was at or how it felt, so I had to blame someone for it. Yeah. I had to be incredibly cynical. I got so, so neurotically sick from the constant preoccupation with what I wasn't, my whole life was a fucking mess. I came in here, and what my, the thing that was playing God, the only thing it could come up with about my life was that it was pointless. I had no value in it for the last years I lived it. So I was ready to toss it away. I tossed it in a direction, AA caught it, and recycled it, and turned it into something incredible. That's sort of like what happens to this thing. It's just an expression of what's living through it. If you want to live as a self, you're getting all the effects. You're living on hope that you'll be special someday and someone will recognize that. And that specialness recognized will make everything great, but it doesn't. I mean, I've had seven fairy princesses probably in my life. <laughs> the first six, seven didn't make it. You know? I had 20 relationships, and when I looked at them all, which was the one constant? It was me. <laughs> The problem does, I wasn't having a problem, I am the problem. And therefore I'm also the solution at the same time. That's the good news, yeah. And I can't do myself out of, out of the problem as the problem. Yeah. I can do myself into a better condition of the problem, which I did. But to have true freedom from it, I had to recognize that I wasn't it. And this little invitation I'm hopefully offering, well, tonight is what started it. Because it separated me, and then I read the book, and he does it in the book. It separated me from self, and I realized how self-defeated me was I was identified as it. That's how it did it. And if I asked everyone in this room what self-defeated them, they'd all have the same answer, mine. So the act of my is identification. So it isn't self that defeats me. It's the identification as self that defeats me. If self defeated me, it would be like a threat, a real solid thing out there that we'd have to vanquish or, you know, attack or missile it or something. But it isn't. It's the identification as. So in a sense, you are your own prison. You are your own warden. You are your own jailer. It's your power that allows this thing to play God. It cannot be God, so it plays it with you, with your juice. By believing it, by having devotion with that thought system, you get to experience its grace, which is anxiety. That's it. It rains that on you every day, yeah? You have the opportunity to be anxious about what's not happening every day to the rest of your life. I worked for a lady once when I was young, who was the grandmother, and she was one of the greatest warriors I've ever seen, before or since. She's up there. I know another one, but she's up there in the top echelon. And we'd be working there, and she'd be sitting, standing like this. She had the long dress with the 
halfway pull up socks and like nun shoes, you know. And she, her hands, you could see her, these, these were like her rosary bead. She was worshipping the, the, in the Temple of Mind. You know. What's, What's going to happen? What's going to happen? And so she'd watch us, and she like, we're only going to paint two walls. You know? I said, I've been doing this a long time. I understand there's four walls in this room. We're going to paint every room, every wall. Don't worry. Then she'd look at the ceiling. <laughs> yes, the ceiling also. <laughs> okay. So to screw with her, <laughs> I just had to do it. I put, a, I put a can in the middle of the thing near the end of the day, and I'd watch. I could see the RPM just kick in. <laughs> Are they going to leave that? What? 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 What's that going to mean? It's just like she's like burning the fabric of her dress, you know. And we're acting like we're leaving. I said, "Oh no, don't worry. We're going to be taking up the can." You know? But it was just insane. That was a true devotee, true devotee of conditional mind, believing every thought, yes, and and not even seeing the injection from her fear base into every thought to make everything seem fearful. It's very difficult to make what's not fearful seem fearful. You and I are great miracle workers. Really are. You can make what's not happening seem to be happening. I mean, that's better than resurrecting someone who's dead. <laughs> Literally, because it's not even had the sense of it has never been happening. So it never even had light to lose to get resurrected from. It's out of clear blue sky what's not happening. And we're resurrecting it every freaking day. It's mind-boggling. (laughs) Just conjuring it up. Come, come forward. Come forward and bring me anxiety about how destitute I'm going to be next week. Go backward and bring me nostalgia for those good old days, which I never had anyway. Let me suffer the unbearability of your absence in this moment. Let me fill this, this dry, barren field with anxiety and nostalgia and resentments and regrets. He said that. If you have the side and faith the size of a mustard seed, some people, they're like Arnie Schwarzenegger biceps. I mean, they are working it big time. And they're conjuring up what's not happening every day. And allowing it to override this. Of course, what's not happening is a part of what's happening. The whole message of trying to speak as this is all the while the true instigator of anything is the seeing of it. So you're seeing what's not happening in thought. And that ability to see it is causing its resurrection in a sense. You can make it seem to be real and it's not happening. I was trying to share this the other day. All right, let's say you come over to my house and you have a lot of problems about what's not happening. Now, in the old days, I listened to you for a few hours. Thank God that's over. (laughs) Thinking I was doing being a service, which is totally insane. So here I'd be sitting here, and you would be talking to me. And then maybe after, hope, five seconds, but sometimes maybe 20 minutes, I realized it's actually not happening. (laughs) I said, I said, well, have you brought to me, brought me what's been bothering you? No, I can't do that. What do you mean? I want to see it, feel it, hear it, taste it. I can't do that. It's not happening. What is it that you want me to do? How, what solution could I possibly offer you about what's not happening other than recognizing it's not happening? 
And if there's a recognition it's not happening, that's it. That's the end of the help. How much, what, what more would you need to do? Hey, bro, it's not happening. Pause. Let it settle in. But no, it's not happening. <laughs> but let me, let me tell you, no, please, refrain from that. Refrain from telling me once again. <laughs> Can I use your phone? No, I don't want you to call up and tell someone else what's going on. <laughs> let's just sit here and let's feel it, see it, taste it, touch it. Don't go in the thinking porno room, no. Stay out of there. See it. I can't see it. Why? It's not happening. Feel it. I can't feel it. I'm having feelings about it. That's not it. I can't feel it. Why? It's not happening. Can you smell it? I can't smell it, but I know it stinks. No, no, I'm not saying that. Can you smell it? I can't smell it. Why? It's not happening. Can you hear it? No. Why? It's not happening. There you go. Now sit for a minute without saying anything. Let's just see if you can. And sit in that pause and let something like sort of pour over you the sense of what's happening. Now you tell me, where's the unknown cadence? The unokayness is where in not, what's not happening. Apply the same thing. See it. Feel it. Taste it. Touch it. Smell it. That's the only ways you can contact something here. Is seeing it, hearing it, feeling it, tasting it, touching it. And you can think about it, but that's usually after contact. Yeah? We're not wanting to go, that would be representing. That's what's not happening. The five conscious contact gates are informing us that we're alive. Because I'm seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching. Tell me if they are, the, are, are they feeling it, hearing it, tasting it, touching it, or seeing it. If the, if the message is, I'm not resting that, maybe just there's a pause that will happen. Sit in that pause. It doesn't mean you don't have plans about what could possibly happen. Who knows? It's nice to have plans, but those plans are being had now. Yes? Everything, even if you're thinking a huge amount about next week, it's happening now. Just acknowledge whatever happens here, even what's not happening, when it appears to be happening here, is now. Now. What's not happening is only met by thought, yeah, because obviously you can't see it, hear it, feel it, taste it, touch it. What's happening now can be met those other ways, but everything, all the thinking about the past happens now. Every time you've thought about the future, passes, happens now. You can never be transported to the future or the past. If there was a camera about right now, you'd be on it, the surveillance tape. You cannot transport this into the future. There is no airport, there's no place to land, there's no coordinates. There's no calling up Expedia and renting a hotel and what's not happening. You can't make reservations because it doesn't exist. And all that stuff that you believe so much about and go over and reminisce and recollect and 
informs you and infuses you with the possibility of only I should have, what ifs. You cannot make a reservation for there. There's no landing pad. You can't get there by sea, air, or land. Yes. Your body can't be transported there, nor dropped there, nor, nor parachuted in. You only go there in thought. Yeah. It's an imaginary world. And if you can take a break and breathe in this moment and not let the history of Josh appear and take hold, there won't be anything bothering you. Even if you were dying, there would be a freedom. Why not that become the root? Yeah? That recognition of the immediacy of contact, the verb of consciousness being conscious of, let that be the navigator. Instead of this archaic system based on the past and murky recollections and old ideas and really strange freaking neurotic beliefs, constantly represent the moment into its own framing. You've looked into that freaking mirror enough, haven't you? Jesus, I'd rather gaze out into an open window than that freaking thing. This is an activity. It's not something you get, get tattooed and it's over. Even if there's a sudden awakening, it will still express itself as an activity of living here. It's a verb, and you know it by its verbness. You start living it, and there's no requirement because you are conscious. Came right out of the oven, you can taste it now, eh? <laughs> I don't like to let myself get carried away because I'll just leave, so I like to say here, it's tasty. There's a timber or a clarity of silence when it's being pointed at. It has a little reaction. Silence. the system of head will think you're doing this. You're on the path. And uh, that's why we're like eye and ear doctors. So when we say, you're a lion, you're a lion, you're a lion, and then it gets into your ear as this little sheep ear and it becomes, I can become like a lion, we'll give you an examination and, and hopefully keep correcting that so that you can see that you aren't the mitt that receives this ball. The way you receive this ball is the mitt doesn't go up. <laughs> That's the game. You're not the catcher. <laughs> Any questions tonight?